0: I got fucking inspiration delivery on the way. Okay. Oh, you want to keep going?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I'll just chop it
0: up. Chop it up. Okay. Okay. Wait, we're taking a break now? Or? No. No, we're just going.
1: Go. Nice. Okay. Should we see if he wants to be on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> this pop filter smells like it has like a bestest in <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like breathing it in. It's like it making me sick.
0: Welcome to Listen to This, a podcast in which we listen to songs we like, We research what they mean, how they were recorded, what they were written about, why we like them, and why you should listen to this. My name's Ben Williams. I'm here with Luke Campolietta. We're two music industry pros living in Atlanta, Georgia. We love songs and the stories behind them. Today's episode is about the classic Fleetwood Mac single, Dreams, released in March of 1977 off of their universally loved album, Rumors. Stevie Nicks wrote this tune in the studio next to where Fleetwood Mac recorded rumors. The studio next door where she wrote it belonged to Sly Stone, who had a big semi-circular bed in a sunken pit and red velvet all over the walls. I'm sure he had some sort of incredibly sexy reason for this, but it ended up being the perfect spot to inspire this Fleetwood Mac classic about dreams. Stevie Nicks claims to have written this song in 10 minutes, which is very quick. <laughs> like... How long is the song even to listen to? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you just have it. This is Fleetwood Mac's only number one hit song, which I I think is pretty crazy, actually. Yeah, because they they have some songs that are like really a part of like the culture and like the canon of classic rock. Like the chain seems like it should be a number one hit. Yeah, but yeah, this is the only one. Stevie Nicks wrote it about Lindsey Buckingham. And then Lindsey Buckingham wrote Go Your Own Way as a response to that. According to Stevie, it was the fairy and the gnome. I was trying to be all philosophical, and he was just mad. Which is a great quote. Like That probably could have been a whole other song. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, everyone in the band was famously going through a breakup of some kind during the making of this album, with four members of the band breaking up with each other. Um. But they pushed through and delivered one of the quintessentially classic albums of modern music. Stevie Nicks is quoted saying, what was going on between us was sad. We were couples who couldn't make it through. But as musicians, we still respected each other. I think this is like, ultimately, obviously the songs of Fleetwood Mac are right, like what make them such a legendary band. But I think ultimately, like their legacy is somewhat, somewhat like tied into this theme of them like hating each other to some degree and yet making like the best music of their careers.
1: Yeah, like whenever I think about Fleetwood Mac, I definitely like what comes to my mind is like oh, all yeah. like the turmoil between what they had going on.
0: Which is like it's a weird thing when like the story around the music kind of informs the listening experience to some degree. Yeah. But like we you know, you can't get away away from that. I do think like it's like a a really cool a really cool thing about this record and like Fleetwood Mac in general is like coming together in the spirit of collaboration, it's like we really need this lesson nowadays because people, you know, they fucking hate each other out there. And like, it's almost like if we were following their example, it's like, okay, we still have to respect each other as people and like figure it out because we got like make a sick record. You know what I mean?
1: I mean, it's crazy. So it was the McVees that got divorced, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, had, I think they had been together for like eight years. Yeah, they were,
0: they were like a, like
1: married. A, yeah, yeah. And got divorced. And anytime outside of the studio, literally would not speak to each other yeah yeah and when in the studio would only talk about music related things which is fucking hard like
0: i like i've been in in some some professional situations where like myself or others have taken things like a bit too far and like it's hard to it's hard to separate that sort of energy from your creative energy
1: yeah and then to think like of course like it's kind of like the height of like drugs and rock and roll. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, so it's like, they're obviously like super inebriated, but still able to like yeah. function and do this, their kind of function yeah. and, they, and do I, this thing.
0: I mean, they were doing lots of Coke. A lot of great drinking was going on. Yeah. Um. There's a fantastic book called The Making of Rumors by Ken Callier, who was like the producer of this album and Tusk, also their next album. And, and it really like details like, the history behind making that album and what was going on. And like, they were really just at the high, like they had kind of exploded as a band during the making of this album. And they were just like fighting, but they were working on music a lot. I'm really impressed that they just like went, they, they, they really took it to where it needed to go. And they didn't like get their, let their personal lives get in the way of, you know, doing the work as it were. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about, like getting into the song, like really quickly is like, first of all, it is. It has got like an iconic, iconic drum intro. Just oh, that yeah. like tiny little fill, like the way that cymbal splashes
1: over goes right in.
0: So cool. Like the more you can do to make a song have like an identity off the jump, like the more likely it is that people will remember the song. Um, the next like interesting thing to talk about with this song is like a. It just has two chords in it. It's a, it's a two chord vamp. Um, It goes from F to G, Uh, and it's in the key of C major, which is even cooler, right? Because then they never really give away, right? Like what we well in music, what they call a tonic, which is like the home home chord. So like, there's always like a little bit of like groovy tension within the song. It it only has like a release, really, like at one moment where where it walks up to the A minor for a second there in the bridge, which is like the relative minor, which sort of feels like home. Um, the backup vocals on this track are That's really my fun. That's my favorite. Do you think the backup vocals are the best?
1: To me, this song yeah. is all about the background. But honestly, when I think about Fleetwood Mac, to me, it's all about the group vocals. Yeah. In every song, why, group vocals.
0: Why are their group vocals better than other groups other than like the obvious, like they're better singers or yeah. whatever?
1: Man, I don't know. I Yeah, because you know what's interesting is it's obviously just them four, right?
0: I think it's just three people singing. Three? Yeah, it's just Chrissy McVie. Uh, not Mick, (laughs) it's Christy McVie, Stevie Nicks, and Lindsey Buckingham. Right. Yeah.
1: Man, they just got, whenever, anytime I think about Fleetwood Mac, it's all about the background vocals. And especially in this song, they sound so good. Something I wanted to ask you about
0: when I listened to the song was Stevie Nicks famously has like a very strange vocal and it's beloved. Like, no doubt about it, everyone really, really goes for it. Um, They famously made fun of it, right, in like South Park, I think. Uh, I was just wondering, what is different about working with somebody with like a really unique and weird sounding voice, like from a mixing perspective or recording perspective? Is there anything
1: different that you do? As a big South Park fan, yeah, um, Stevie Nicks. <laughs> it was the Afghanistan episode with the goat.
0: <laughs> Stevie Nicks. Yo, that's like a legendary episode too. <laughs>
1: Sing us another one, Stevie Nicks.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's just a goat.
1: <laughs> but man, you she know, bleats. Yeah, exactly. She bleats, but yeah. it's good. It's always it's like anytime anyone talks about Stevie Nicks, it's always about the vibrato. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I think anytime that you're recording someone with a unique voice, I dig into it, man. Yeah. Because it's what identifies them. Yeah.
0: It's. I think it's like important in in art and like, you know, even you can take this further. It's like standing out is like more important than hitting a quality amount i mean quality is important no yeah. doubt but you know the same. this isn't music made by machines and like if you have a weird voice you fucking have a weird voice like it, what is cool about
1: it How, i liken it to like guitar tones yeah yeah you don't like slash mm-hmm. is gonna sound like slash whoever's gonna sound like whoever yeah. you don't really change who they are you accentuate it. yeah you know? and it's like
0: distinctive right oh, yeah definitely like, that's definitely another word for it like she sounds like Stevie Nicks. People don't even try to sound like her. I've never heard no. anyone who's like, "Oh yeah, she's kind of doing the Stevie thing." <laughs> I mean, I've seen people like wear like long robes and shit on stage. Yeah, they try th- to
1: like look the yeah. part. Yeah.
0: they jack her swagger all the time, or they try, try, yeah. But they don't hit the hit the vocals. But yeah, it's like she she really was like the star, and that's like part of why maybe this song was a number one and the others weren't because she is so like the. I mean. My favorite singer of the three is Chrissy McVeigh, but Stevie Nicks is definitely the most like distinctive. When we think about Fleetwood Mac, like in the popular culture, we we're really thinking o- about like this song and the chain, and then like landslide. Yeah, the probably. chain's my favorite. Yeah, the chain's cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh man! And so, then
1: they have the new Evanescence cover of it.
0: Oh shit! No way. Yeah,
1: it's for the new. It's you know that video game. Yeah. Gears of
0: War was that Yeah, I used to play that the first one all the time. So they got the new one yeah. coming
1: out this year. Oh and damn! It's, like the theme song. Was cool, and so they had the girl from Evanescence sing it.
0: Oh, nice, Amy Lee. Yeah, one of the most interesting things about this song and like the whole record rumors, too, is not just the infighting that occurred within the band, but the recordings were almost like the tapes themselves almost got like fucked beyond belief, right?
1: Yeah, famous story about the rumors, master tapes. And how the how like what is it? How long did they spend on it? A year or two?
0: A couple years. A couple I, at, years. And it was at the record plant in Sausalito, California. Yeah. California. Great place.
1: They almost lost everything they worked on, where um, they were overdubbing stuff on 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 the tape. You know, back then they were recording to mm. you know tape machines, and Ken Callier noticed that things were like starting to sound a little weird. Yeah, yeah. But didn't think much of it. Just thought that. Just something odd was going on with he, the machine.
0: He probably was like, damn, I've been making this record for two years. Like, yeah. I, maybe I can't hear anything
1: <laughs> the right way anymore. <laughs> but he noticed that the um, tape heads would get, like, clogged up with, like, tape. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they would do a take and then clean the heads and then do another take. And he had this realization that, that the tape was actually, like, shedding into the tape heads. Holy crap. It was actually, like, the tape shedding into it. Whoa. And I think I remember reading this interview where he invites the band to come in to listen, you know, playback. And he solos the kick and the snare, which are obviously two different sounding parts of the drum, you know. And he said, he asked them to like differentiate, can you pick which one's the kick, which one's the snare? And he said, no one could. Oh, damn. That's how degraded the tape had gotten. Like it was ruined. It had lost all of its punch. It had lost all of its fidelity, all the high end. It was just... It was like mud. Like, as a
0: big Fleetwood Mac fan, I would pay money to hear rumors done that way. I
1: know, right? <laughs>
0: like, with the fucked up tapes. It's just I'd fucked like, up tape. Ooh, it sounds interesting. Yeah, that's great. I bet they were freaking out.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So, as the story goes, they hired, like, this mad scientist guy mm-hmm. to come in, and he's able to fix it. And so, there's not a lot. I can't find a lot of information on, like, the deep dive into the process of what the guy did. So, I'm going to make some, like, inferences. yeah, yeah. But as the story goes, is there's the master tape, which was messed up. And you you know, it was common practice to make backup tapes. Um so what they did is they put the messed up tape on one tape machine and then a safety tape on another tape machine. Mm-hmm. And then what they did is sync the two machines by playing Um, I think he played a kick and a hi-hat in like one ear of one machine and a kick and a hi-hat of the safety in the other
0: ear. Ooh, it sounds like such a difficult oral exercise at like... Listening and, and syncing it up like that exactly
1: so no two tape machines will play at the same speed right. it's yeah, like this yeah. is like an analog it's like a car yeah yeah you turn the car on it doesn't really ride the same way as Ooh, it did the day before
0: that's cool as hell I didn't know that about tape machines really. yeah yeah
1: which is why you have to continually calibrate them continually yeah, yeah. like change out things because like it just it just runs and it just it falls it falls apart They're you know kind of a
0: big pain in the ass but oh yeah big pain <laughs> in the ass
1: and so he has the messed up tape in his left ear yeah and the same. Safety tapes in his right ear, and he's speeding which is how you control the speed. You can speed up the tape or slow yeah. down the tape, like as if like you're on a vinyl turntable. You can speed it up and slow it down. And so he's speeding up and slowing down the tape so that they match. And then from there, I'm guessing what they did is then dump that to another a tape third machine, tape machine, yeah, or a third recorder, yeah, so that then they could then save their overdubs or overdub to that.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah, like they had to take the safety and line it up to what they did. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the problem is they were overdubbing on this tape, but then they had to like move the damaged goods. They, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like a weird, like there's no explanation, but he had to line up the messed up in the new Sounds one. crazy. Do yeah.
0: you do you think that this like uh like um Snafu? Uh,
1: contributed to like the sonic qualities of the record in any way. Do you want to hear something crazy? I heard yeah. actually. So you know of crazy. So you know how people get demo-itis, right? Yeah. And so like, so demoitis is like when you're working on a song, at, either as an artist, a producer, or an engineer, yeah. right? Demoitis is like when you fall into the habit of loving the way it is in its like early stages. Yeah, yeah. And so any change that you make to actually improve the record makes you not like it because you liked it you got so used to yeah. hearing it the way it was
0: that's that is really like a really tough thing a lot of people go through that oh all yeah, the time yeah.
1: every day and so someone was saying that classic records is just a big macro oh, interesting. It's a big macro demo itis
0: i have gotten
1: an- so used to hearing Led Zeppelin and Fleetwood Mac as this that if you I'm- changed it
0: <laughs> I'm gonna ob- be in an abusive relationship with uh, Hot Blooded by Foreigner is what you're saying
1: right exactly that's exactly it <laughs> <laughs> and you can't change it like you are uh, in love with the way that yeah, sounds because that's how it's always sounded uh, there's a funny story about like actually like getting like the initial sounds it's like they're at Record Plant, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're in a they're in the room and it has API console, which obviously is an amazing console. Classic. But they couldn't get the sound that they wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going back and forth for like eight days trying to get the drums. And they're like, and Ken thinks he's going to get fired. Yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, this is it. Like, I'm done. <laughs> and so, like, in a moment of like desperation, he's like, okay, I'm just going to turn everything up on the board. Just genius, fucking turn everything genius. up. And then that was the sound. And they yeah. came in. They're like, oh yeah, that's it. Why did it take eight days? This is the sound. It was just literally him just being like, okay. Yeah. I think that's like, maybe that just fit
0: in with the vibe of what they were going for. I think, you know, what's cool is like part of like, like kind of to put, like, not to put a bow on the whole, like what we've been talking about this song so neatly, but part of what what we're talking about is like, okay, the band hated each other, but they made it work. The studio recordings got fucked up and then they made it work. Her voice is kind of weird and they made it work. I think like maybe that's like part of the juice of Fleetwood Mac is it yeah. just is like a band that defies the odds to some degree to like create this classic stuff that you know we can't get enough of. What a track! What a track! That's <laughs> that's that's my um my Stevie Nicks or my Shakira or my like Sephardic Jewish cantor at the Torah. <laughs>